Welcome to the Cinema Men Podcast. I'm your host, John Murphy, and I'm joined by my co-host, Matt Hurdle. Oh, hello, John. I'm just coming into my room right now, and what? What? My chair. John, what? my desk chair is gone. What? Your chair? Your someone, chair is gone? Someone stole it, John. What? Really? I I don't know how I can do the podcast without my chair. Well, no, you you, you can't do the podcast without your chair. I, I can't? You, you no, won't let me? Not, no, you have to have a podcast, or you have to have a chair to do the podcast. There's no other way. I guess, I guess the job description did say that. Just give yeah. me a few minutes. I'll see if I can't find something. Wait a minute. Knox. Do you really have a chair? Because if you don't have a chair, you need to return the job. To, I, the, the job. I can. I can the get the chair. Host. I can. I can. I'll, yes, I have the chair. I'll, I'll get the chair. I'll, let me just go get it. I'll be right okay. back. My son. My son. <laughs> Why? You must come with me, my son. We have to go find the chair. Why would anyone steal it? I don't know, but we'll find it. Come with me, boy. Come okay. with me. Hmm. Let's see. Let's try this. Let's try this place over here. Sir. Sir, have you, have you seen a desk chair? Um. Oh, me and my poor son here. My, my chair was stolen and I'm trying to find it. Do you... Do you do you know where it might be? No, I I don't have a serial number. I just oh, I'll keep looking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. We should try the police, Dad. Oh, that's a wonderful idea, my son. Let's go. Let's go ask the police. Excuse me, Mr. Police Officer. My chair. Yes. It, it, yes. it was stolen. Really? Yes, it was taken right from my computer desk. I mm. I need help. I need to file a complaint. Okay. Do you have proof? Oh, uh, well, I I don't have a chair. No, so no. I, I I have the serial number of the chair. You didn't see who did it or or anything like that. I didn't get a good look. No. Hmm. Well, unfortunately, around these parts. When someone steals a chair and you don't have proof, pretty much out of luck. That's just but how this area is where I they need my chair. chair thieves. I, I need it. I cannot work without my chair. I'm, I'm sorry, sir. Oh, come, son. The police are no help. Oh, it's okay, my boy. We'll find our chair. Let's let's go look by the docks. I hear that that's where they offload stolen desk chairs for parts. Here we are, my boy. Wait here by the bridge. I'll go see if I can find the desk. Hmm. There's so many chairs here. And most of them have been taken apart from stolen chairs and rebuilt to cover the crime. Oh, I'll never find it all. Knox, my son, come to me. We can find it. Oh, you must speak louder, my son. I can barely hear you with the sadness in my ears. We can find it. We can. Yes. All right. 
I need you to look for chair levers, the ones that make the chair move up and down. I'll look for wheels. Surely we'll prevail. Almost every chair has wheels. I know. How will we ever find the right chair? Oh, this is hopeless. It's hopeless. Come with me, son. Let's go to Office Max. Oh, look at all these chairs. My son, there's chairs everywhere. So many chairs. Look, that one's leather. That one is mechanical. Like, with electrics, you can push a button and move it. Oh, oh! if only we had a chair, Knox, then I could work. We can find it. I don't think we can. The I... thieves are long gone. We Not can. all of your mother's candles, nor the light of all the saints will find this chair. Oh, I tell you what, son. Go stand in the parking lot. We can find Go. it! Go to the parking lot, son. We can um, find go it. Go to the parking lot. Why? Now that I'm alone, I have to take this chair. It's the only way I can work. Let's get the chair. I'm going to get it. I've got it. I'm running. Hey, hey you! <laughs> No! No, my son, don't give me away! You're gonna go to jail! Oh, you've caught me. I've been caught. Son, I'm so sorry to have let you down. Your father reduced to a common desk chair thief. Why didn't you just buy a new chair? Because I don't have any money. I don't have anything to sell. Your mother sold the bed sheets to get my last chair. Oh. Sell your water. I submit myself to you, store manager of Office Max. No! I'm going to jail, son. Well, I guess we'll drop, drop the charges. Why? Why would you do that? What? Never mind. Just just go. Come on, my son. They're letting me go. Let's go home to your mother. And I'll never work again. <laughs> Why? What are you crying about? Oh. <laughs> that may top all of them. <clears throat> I don't know. We'll see. Everybody out there in Listen Land... Give a hand to my son, Knox, who decided yes. to spin and do his best. Knox, young, say hello to the podcast. Hello. The young whelp that he found off the street to be an That's actor. Right. He street. was just handing out flowers with his real dad. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, on tonight's episode, we're going to be reviewing the 1948 drama Bicycle Thieves, starring Lamberto Maggiarani. Directed by Vittorio De Sica. This is a spoiler podcast, so if you've never seen this movie and don't want to be spoiled, pause this episode, go watch the movie, and then come back. Stay tuned until the end of the episode where we reveal what our next movie will be so you can follow along with us. If you would like to get in touch with us or give us your take on a movie, you can email us at feedback at cinemamenpodcast.com or check us out on Twitter at twitter.com slash cinemamenpod. If you would like to support us monetarily and have the means to do so, you can go to anchor.fm slash cinemamenpodcast slash support. We use the money to improve the quality of the podcast, 
So in advance, thank you very much. Let's get started with our review of Bicycle Thieves. Matt, I hope you love this trailer. See. Pupassetto sarei io. Piuttosto, ve ne siete accorti. Trattandosi di un miracolo che succede a Milano, ho dovuto lasciare il mio dialetto romanesco e parlare in milanese. Ma mi capirete lo stesso, certamente. Prima del Pupassetto e di me, avete veduto dei manifesti. I bambini ci guardano, sciuscià, ladri di biciclette. Tre film. Ma sono il lavoro di molti anni. Essi riassumono tutta l'opera di De Sica regista, De Sica, l'amico dei ragazzi. Prico, il piccolo dei bambini ci guardano, è stato il primo dei suoi ragazzi. A lui De Sica ha affidato questa verità. Nel mondo gli umili, i semplici sono gli unici a soffrire. I ragazzi soprattutto, che troppe volte hanno di fronte cose più grandi di loro. Una di queste è la guerra. Ci fu la guerra e devastò il mondo. Lutti, distruzioni. Well then. Hey! <laughs> Now that I know exactly what to expect from this movie. Yeah, so I uh, I tried to go looking at for uh, trailers, and all the other trailers were just music. And so I found one of a guy basically talking about uh, the movie. You know, at first Italian. I thought it was just going to be music, so I'm glad at least there was a little yeah speaking. I had to find something. So for all you Italian speakers out there, you're welcome. Buongiorno. Um, bon- Ah, grazie. <clears throat> um, reading the plot synopsis from imbtv.com. Uh, in post-war Italy, a working-class man's bicycle is stolen, endangering his efforts to find work. He and his son set out to find it. Uh, so I picked this movie. This was my choice this week. And... Um, Uh, The reason I picked it, I guess, is because, one, I had the Criterion Blu-ray, so I already had quick access to it. Um, But also, I'd always heard that this is, like, this is the movie they show in film school. Like, this is the movie that is considered one of the best movies ever made, um, up there with, like, Citizen Kane, stuff like that. Um, so I always was intrigued to, to watch it, to see what exactly what was it about it that made it good and interesting. Um, and so we did watch it. Um, and um, do you have anything you want to add before I go into plot? about? Only that I went into this movie as blind as a person could go into a movie. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I know nothing about this, or at least I did going into the film. Uh, I had never even really heard of it. Uh, so this was a complete uh, smack in the face movie for me in that I didn't know what to expect at all. Yeah. Um, uh, same. Other than I, I knew about it, I just didn't really know what it was about or anything. Um, so from a plot perspective, 
our first category. Um, I actually was surprised at how interesting I thought this plot was. Um, it's there's not a lot to it. It's pretty uh, insubstantial as far as like side stories and subplots and all that stuff. But it's really I thought it was really gripping. Um, it tells a tale of something that maybe we don't as a American society don't think about or people that are at least well off don't think about. Um, but this, after watching this movie, I really, it made me consider something, which is what if I would lived in poverty and what would I do to obtain a job and what would I do to feed my family or, uh, clothe them and keep a roof over their head. Um, so from that perspective alone, I feel like this movie is a success. Um, I loved the relationship between uh, our main character, Antonio, and his son, Bruno. Um, Bruno is an interesting child in that he seems a lot more grown up than he probably should be. Um, but his his face and his mannerisms all kind of, to me, conveyed more maturity than than a kid of his age should have. Uh, but Antonio is this strong father figure trying to provide for his family. <clears throat> and you've got uh, Bruno. He's looking up to him, wanting to be a part of everything, part of his life, and to help out with everything. Uh, of course, that all comes crashing down at the end. Um, I thought it was interesting how they showed... Because uh, the whole movie revolves around... Uh, this bicycle being stolen from the main character and this bicycle is required for his job. And if he doesn't have a bicycle, he doesn't have a job. And so um, I thought it was interesting that they continually showed bicycles throughout the entire movie. Like just they're running, they're being driven, ridden by they're on, they're parked, they're everywhere. And this thing that he can't get is readily available pretty much everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, I thought that was an interesting idea um, and something that, you know, you could replace bicycle with anything uh, and think about a person who's in poverty and the thing that they want the most is right there in front of them, but they can't have it uh, unless they resort to other means. Right. Um, I thought it was a super powerful ending. Um, it's not a happy ending, spoilers, uh, but this movie does not end in a happy way. Some say it ends abruptly, but I feel like it ends exactly how it needs to end. Um, and yeah, I just, I love the plot. I thought it was so engaging and interesting, and I was sucked in the whole time. I was, I was rooting for these characters. I was rooting for him to re-obtain his bicycle, uh, and it was just great all around. Yeah, so... Uh... As for me, I found the plot, honestly, pretty boring. Uh, I didn't get the gripping feeling that you did. <laughs> um, it's a very simple plot, really, at its core. You know, the, the guy who's struggling to get a job, he finally gets a job. He's living in poverty, and his, his hopes of lifting his family out of poverty are alleviated by the fact that he can have this job. But the problem is... The job requires him to have a bicycle. Well, he had one, but he had pawned it to help the family out in the past. And so 
They wound up selling the sheets off of their bed, uh, sleeping without sheets on a mattress so that he can get the bike back. And he gets it back and he gets the job and everything's going great until a man comes and steals that bike. And then the rest of the movie is him and his son trying to get the bike back. I mean, that's it. Mm -hmm. That is the plot. There's nothing else here. So extremely simple in terms of the plot. Um, You know, it, it's well told. It's easy to follow what's going on. Um, It's uh, honestly, though, it was pretty boring to me. I had a hard time staying engaged with this movie through the entire thing. Now there are scenes where I was absolutely glued to the screen, but there were also scenes where I was like, (sighs) (laughs) you know, just snoozing away. Uh Um, Basically. I guess, I found the plot to be a snooze fest. Go, go ahead. I, I was going to say, we should note, I don't know if we have, we sort of hinted at it, but this movie was obviously 1948, but it was also made in Italy. And so mm-hmm. all of the dialogue is Italian and Italian. If the um, trailer so, didn't give that away. Right. <laughs> so we and had to watch with subtitles. Uh, so that should I'll be noted. This, I, I feel like that was a benefit to this film for me. Because when a movie has subtitles, it forces me to watch the movie, <laughs> even when it's slow, so that I know what people are saying. Uh-huh. Uh, if this was an English film, I probably would have zoned out. <laughs> um, now, all that said, um, the plot does make some really good points, and I appreciate that, and this movie definitely deserves credit for that. So while I thought the plot was kind of crap, I feel like what it's communicating with the plot is really smart. Okay. So, um, you know, th- they really make you cheer for Antonio. You want him to succeed. He, he does such a great job of being relatable. You know, he's got his boy running with him. He's poor. He's a good man. He's always following the rules. He's doing what's right. And life just keeps smacking him down. And he's so frustrated, but he's still doing his best to to be a good dad, a dedicated husband, a dedicated father. He wants to provide the best he can for his family, but he's just put into an impossible situation. And, you know, that says something a bit about society in itself, because, you know, that happens every day. There's Mm -hmm. people out there on the streets right now doing everything right. And they're just not catching any breaks. They're not getting any luck and everything just isn't working out for them. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a truth of the world, you know, and it, this movie really shoves that in your face and it's not comfortable, which is part of why I'm not a big fan of this movie. <laughs> not because it's not a good movie, but because that kind of a slap in the face, it, it, it does what it's supposed to do. It makes me uncomfortable. And when mm-hmm. I'm watching a movie, I don't really want to be comfortable. So in terms of a movie that I enjoy, no. Mm-mm. In terms of a movie with an important message that makes me think and makes me feel emotions other than happiness or excitement. Yeah. You know, this is what this is doing. And from a purely critical standpoint, that makes this a great movie. And, you know, it, it's art. That's exactly what art is supposed to do. But from the point of view of a dude who just wants to watch a movie and have a good time. 
Mm-mm. Yes. So um, <laughs> keep that in mind when considering if you want to see this or not, because this is this is a movie that will make you think and won't make you feel good. But it, it is it's a piece of art. It, it makes you feel things. It makes you feel helpless. It makes you sympathize with these characters. And there's nothing that can happen. It makes you want to go through the screen and help them. Mm-hmm. Right. But then that same day that you watch this movie and you feel that way, you can go outside and see a guy panhandling on the street and walk right next to him. Walk, walk right by. Him. Think about mm-hmm. that. Right. That's what this movie does. It, it makes you reconsider things like that. Um, another thing I wanted to bring out is the very ending of this film, because I felt like that was a very significant moment and probably the most, um, because if, if you notice the name of this movie is bicycle thieves, correct? Now there were some translation issues with it in some different languages where it was translated as the bicycle thief. And so sometimes you may see it listed as either or, but that is in thieves is very important. Because at the end of the movie, Antonio, finally, he's had enough. He's tried so hard to do the right thing. He's, he wants to do good by his family. He's like, you know what? Someone stole from me. I'm going to steal too. And he takes a bike. He gets caught almost instantly. They run him down. They catch yeah. him. And he has to give the bike back. And they decide to let him go. And so at that moment, everything kind of clicks in his head because he was driven out of pure desperation to become the very thing that put him in that situation. And so it's bicycle thieves because he's a bicycle thief, too. And at that point, there's a connection that's made between him and the man that steals his bike near the beginning of the film, because that man very likely stole because of a very similar feeling of desperation to what he had when he stole that bike. Who's to Mm -hmm. say someone didn't steal that other guy's bike. And he was at the end of his rope and he was facing who knows what, and all he needed was that bike. And maybe if with that bike, he could buy food for a week for his kids or something. You know, we, we don't know. Of course, I don't think he has any kids. We meet the thief, but we, we still don't know his situation. He did the same thing putting them in the same boat, the guy that we've been cheering for the whole film to beat the guy that wronged him in the beginning is exactly the same as that guy that wronged him in the beginning. And uh, that right there is where the movie really shines. In my opinion, it's not in the plot, which I thought was boring and not great, but in what it says in particular, in that moment, there's other moments that stick out as kind of starlight, amongst the blackness of the boringness of the plot. <laughs> but that is, that is one of them. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so it, it's the combination of that hard truth that, you know, no matter what you do, sometimes you're just not going to make it, you know, you're, you're just another guy and sometimes life sucks. Yeah. And that combined with, you know, understand that sometimes people who wrong you may have the own, their own justification, which might come around to be your justification one day and don't necessarily judge people so harshly. Mm-hmm. That's what I got out of the movie anyway. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly the same thing I got 
Um, I think there's a good distinction that you were making earlier in that, because we do a lot of different films on this move podcast. Um, everything from something like this, which is definitely more of an art art type film to uh, Night of the Lepus. Uh, so, <laughs> what do you mean? Um, that artistic masterpiece? Yes. Uh, Where else so, can you see fields of electrocuted <laughs> dead giant bunny rabbits? But I, I, that's why I like doing the podcast because I think that, you know, we get to expose ourselves and others, hopefully, uh, to these movies that they may have not otherwise watched. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I don't think this is a, I wouldn't say it's an entertaining film either, uh, but it does make you think and a movie that can make you think after the fact, I feel like that's a win. Um, and the plot itself is, that's its job. Um, and so uh, I just, I thought it was done really well. Um, and it did like, I try to be as giving as I can anyway, but after watching this movie, I just wanted to go give some money to something, um, someone or some organization. Um, and what you said about, you never know what situation a person is in. That's absolutely true. Um, and I think that's where being giving grace and being kind and being compassionate really is a good thing to do uh, because you never know what, situation someone's in yeah um and this movie is like a a textbook example of that um and so i thought it was done really well <clears throat> yeah i agree uh and and you know in fact this movie to an extent has callbacks to one of my only perfect tens which is another older movie okay um whose name is escaping me right now. Harakiri? Yeah, Harakiri. Because in that movie, you know, you see the the situation. Like you see the the son act cowardly and Mm -hmm. you know try to go to the samurai's house and pretend to kill himself so that he can get money and he's mocked and have made to kill himself in a horrible way. But then as the story unfolds, you find out that he was doing that because his wife and his son were sick and dying and he had no money for medicine and he mm-hmm. was desperate. He had no other options. He, he would do whatever it took to mm-hmm. get the medicine for his family. It, it's kind of a similar situation here, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. Now I will say with Harakiri, I loved the plot. Whereas here, <laughs> I did not. Yeah. Um, however, it's kind of the same thing. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. Uh, um, Akira Kurosawa has said that uh, Vittorio uh, De Sica inspired him, and Bicycle Thieves is one of his favorite movies. And so, well, you can start Harakiri, to see that. Yeah. Harakiri came out in 62. Um, this came out in 48. So. It's not quite a magnificent seven seven samurai no. level crossover, but no. there's definite inspirations. Yeah, you can see it. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, acting and characters. Um, so my understanding about this movie uh, is that none of the actors in the film were air quote professional actors. They were either people that found off the street or uh, amateur actors or people that had different jobs. And so 
that was a choice that um, DeSico made. Um, and I really think it benefits the movie. Um, and it's also a little unbelievable just because <laughs> of how well these people do in this movie. Um, not once did I really feel like uh, any of these actors were acting. Um, it seemed like they were all genuine, like they were just real people and it makes sense because they were, uh, but you would think in front of a camera that people would kind of not clam up or, um, not show their true selves. Uh, but this cast was amazing. Um, I thought everyone was fantastic, especially Lamberto Maggiorani and Enzo Staiola, who played Bruno. Um, they completely sold their characters. Um, and uh, I I really can't think of a performance where I was like, eh, maybe not. Uh, every Even down to the old man that uh, Antonio keeps trying to chase around. Like, he, he was funny and interesting. In <clears throat> uh, a little factoid, uh, Sergio Leone, the famed director of the spaghetti western uh, movies like uh, the Fistful of Dollars, um, the he was man actually, with no name. Yeah, he was actually in the film. Uh, he played one of the seminary students, and he also had a side job on the film as a gopher, and he would basically go do assistant type work for Desica. Uh, I thought that was super fascinating to see someone who was so influential later in film actually worked on this, on this movie. Um, yeah, I agree completely. Uh, I didn't know that. And it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. This movie really has, <coughs> excuse me. This movie really has had quite the echo through film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as far as, Characters, I think I said a lot of it in the plot part, but I mean, these characters are people that you may or may not relate to, but at the end of the movie, you at least have empathy for them and you understand their situations. And so, or you should, these, unless you're a dirty, dirty monster. Yeah, I don't see how you, I don't see how you watch this movie and don't feel some sort of thing uh, for them. Um, but yeah, uh, some really interesting characters. You've got um, obviously the main character Antonio um, and his wife and son. But you've got uh, they go into a church at some point, and you see all the uh, people attending mass. You've got uh, these seminary students. You've got an old man who's apparently taking money from this other. This kid that stole this bike for some reason, we don't ever really find out why. Um, and then you got the whole uh, section of town where that thief lives and all of the people that are trying to protect him. Um, you've got the Oracle or the person that is telling the future. Uh, by the way, I got a bit of uh, a Matrix vibe from that. Uh, when they're going yeah, into the, it, it seemed felt kind of weirdly placed, didn't it? Yeah, like just going to this. Like it never really was explained what she was, like a wise woman, I guess. 
Yeah, I got at first I thought that, but then I was like, well, she's just one person that's trying to make a living. Uh, yeah. Doing what she feels like she can do. So she would basically <laughs> pray for wisdom and then give advice and yes. they would pay her for it. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that scene in the Matrix where Neo goes to see the Oracle, um, it was almost shot exactly the same way, too. But they he goes, he's like, in the next room. And then he goes in the next room and that's where all the people that are sitting around him are the person waiting for advice or being uh, tutored or whatever. I don't know if that was inspiration, but it, it, you know, um, I, I would not be surprised if it was, um, I didn't catch that until you brought it up right now, but you're right. There's definitely some similarities there. And, um, yeah, I, I bet you there is some inspiration there. I think you're onto something. Maybe. Uh, and so did you have, so is this category better for you than the plot? Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, I had no idea that these actors were all amateurs or not actors at all um, until you mentioned it. I thought everybody did great. There there is not a single performance in this that I could look at and say that was not great. Um, You know, the old man character, maybe a little bit. He was a little exaggerated, (laughs) but not not over the top and bad. Um, really, I don't have much bad to say at all about the acting. I thought everybody was good. Um, Antonio was outstanding. Um, so was his son, Bruno. Um, it's hard to believe that they're not actors, trained actors, because both of them put on an amazing performance in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, his wife, Maria does great. All of the extras are, are great. It's, uh, it's it's really quite a quite a piece of work, given the context that none of these people are trained actors. I mean, can you imagine you and me getting picked out of a crowd and be like, "You're going to be in this movie"? Yeah, yeah. What you'd get is similar to the intro of this episode, <laughs> so we know that that wouldn't happen. You're going to be the main characters, but yeah. on top of that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they better cast me as the thief. <laughs> can you? Uh... I can pass out. Take a seizure. (laughs) And that's all I have to do is lay there and be still. Maybe jerk my arms. Yeah. Yeah, I believe uh, Lamberto Maggirani, he worked in a factory. He was Mm -hmm. actually bringing his son to the film to audition for Bruno. Um, But his son didn't get the part, but he ended up getting the main part. And then uh, Bruno... Vittorio De Sica saw him in the crowd and thought he had a unique face, uh, which he does, by the way, if you have watched this movie, his face is very, as I said before, mature. Like he doesn't look like a, uh, what? Seven, eight year old, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, and then Maria, she was a film journalist, I believe. And showed up to interview him and wound up getting cast. (laughs) It's wild. Uh, and, I believe uh, Cary Grant was supposed was a was supposed to play the main character uh, before Vittorio decided, and eh, we're just going to use amateurs across the board, and that would have completely changed the movie. That would have been it. Might have still been good, but uh, it would have definitely been different. Hmm. <clears throat> um. Okay. 
art direction, cinematography, and visual effects. Um, I mean, I thought this was also a good category. Um, there wasn't anything super crazy, but there was stuff that I found interesting, um, such as he did a lot of, um, as far as the cinematography, he did a lot of stationary shots where the actors would walk from the camera to the background. Um, a lot of times in a silhouette. Um, and that, that was neat to watch and see. Um, there was a few weird edits. Um, and I don't know if that was because of like damage to the original reel or if that was in the original theatrical release, but there were a couple of like abrupt edits or cuts that happened. Um, so that was a little weird. I'm not, I, I tried to find out what that was all about. I couldn't find any mention of it anywhere. So I'm not sure if that was just how it was. Um, as far as like, um, art direction, like the sets, they actually shot the movie in, in Rome or in Italy. Um, so there wasn't a whole lot of like set building. They were just filming in the city. Um, so that made it even more amazing because you have to think about how they controlled the crowd in 1948 and, uh, cars and got the extras set up and all that stuff, you know, in a real, uh, location. Um, so that was amazing. And then again, same with the set design, the, the costumes were authentic, real, um, uh, I guess we should also mention this. Hap this is a post-World War II movie. Mm -hmm. um, so this happened in Italy after uh, the effects of the war. <clears throat> and they call it neorealism, if you want to get technical about it. But um, this was kind of one of the movies that kick-started that whole movement of film. It was the movie that kick-started that movement of film, from what I understand. Yeah, very possible. <clears throat> Uh, so this 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 category I thought was very good as well. Um, I I like to look at stuff that's interesting like that. And um, I the only thing that I could think of that was bad was were those couple of edits that you know it was like they were in the middle of something and it just they 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 cut the reel and then stitched it back together with no mm -hmm. real good transition. But other than that, I thought it was great. <clears throat> Yeah, you know, I don't have much to say that you haven't already on, on this category. Um, I, I do want to say that the uh, the way that it was, this is supposed to be Rome, which it's shot in Rome. And the way that they present the city as a, a post-war impoverished kind of area of the world is very well done. Um, everybody in this movie, like, works well to make this city feel alive it feels almost like you're looking at news footage of an actual point in time and not just a film mm -hmm. um, you know people are jostling people are crowded people are hungry everybody's scrapping to get what they can to survive um, it's hard times out there you know and the way he takes rome and turns it from that grand city that it is into this crowded congested mess of poverty is uh really well done um mm -hmm. 
you know, as always with any black and white film that we watch, I'm just amazed at what they can do with that medium. Um, the way that they handle lighting, the way that they can portray uh, so much with just, you know, essentially two colors. Now, granted, you've got all the shades in between those, but it's still, you know, you've got black and white. There's no greens or blues or reds or purples or yellows or anything. Um, it's just, it's pretty amazing to me. Uh, mm-hmm. Visually, this movie is really great. Um, it's not a movie where I'd go so far as to say, you know, you could pause it and make a painting anywhere you want. It's not that good, but, um, it is nonetheless very good. Mm-hmm. Um, the story boring as it may be is told very well through the visual medium. And I agree with you in terms of like the costumes and everything top notch. They, they looked great. Mm-hmm. Um, in particular, the scene where he goes to the diner with his son, and all of the rich people are sitting around the tables eating and he's sitting there with his son and they look kind of disheveled and dirty and everyone else is like clean and fancy, uh, showing that disparity really only through costumes. Um, it, it, it was pretty interesting. So mm-hmm. good marks there as well. Yeah. A thing I thought about that maybe belonged in plot, but, um, when he goes to sell the bed sheets, um, he watches uh, his bedsheets get put on this huge, huge shelf of other bedsheets. Mm-hmm. Um, and that one scene kind of portrays how desperate people are when they're selling their bedsheets to get money to buy other necessities. Mm-hmm. Um, there were, I mean, there were hundreds, hundreds of them. <clears throat> um, I thought that was a striking image for sure. Yeah. Times are tough, man, when when you're selling the sheets off your own bed just to get by. Yeah. She even mentioned, the wife mentioned, that those sheets were a dowry. And mm-hmm. uh, so they, uh, you know, they were special. They, they were not only bed sheets. They had a sentimental value. And that's how desperate they were just to get the bicycle out of pawn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, all right. Score. Um, there's only really one, well, there, there might be a few, but there's one main score, uh, one track that plays, um, and it's the one I played up front, uh, in the intro and it's an interesting one. Um, I liked it. Uh, I thought it was kind of haunting and depressing, but also uplifting in parts. Um, I listened to it on its own this, uh, today, um, and I liked it. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily like, it's not like how we say, uh, what is it? Like the Terminator theme. <laughs> you listen to that. You're like, oh, that's, that's Terminator. Um, but it is a good piece of music um, and very well composed. So that's, I, I liked it, um, but there's not much to say there. It, 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 there wasn't a whole lot of variation it's it's adequate it's good i enjoyed the music um however it's not what i would call like an amazing theme or a perfect orchestral fit or anything like that Mm -hmm. if you were to go on a road trip with me and play that music on the radio uh first of all i'd be like why are you playing the sad music 
Uh, we're on a road <laughs> trip. Can we get something a little more upbeat in here? You know? Uh, and second, I would not think to myself, oh, that's the theme from Bicycle Thieves. No, <laughs> I would not ever connect this music to that film uh, just hearing it on its own. Uh, but that said, it's it's adequate. It fits the film. Uh, I, I never heard the music and went, what the heck? Why is this here? You know, it's not like they started blasting Tutti Frutti All Rudy or something out of nowhere. Yeah. Wolfman Jack didn't come on the radio and start you know, talking. So, yeah, uh, it's, it's okay. You know, yeah. not amazing, but not bad. Just, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There wasn't a lot. There's not really a lot to talk about here, honestly, because it's, mm-hmm. it's that one theme almost through most of it, of the movie. It does fit well and it is well composed and it sounds good, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's not, like you said, it's not um, it's not one you can associate with a, a movie, because it's not that. It's not that memorable, right. I guess. Um, any miscellaneous anything you want to discuss that we didn't talk about? Um, the the only thing I want to mention is something that I I read that I thought was kind of neat. Uh, our, our good director, uh, Vittorio, uh, as I believe you say, mm-hmm. um, he had he made this film just coming off of another film that he made called Shoeshine. It's another movie I don't know anything about other than that it was supposedly pretty controversial. Um, because of this controversy, he wasn't able to get any kind of financial backing whatsoever for this movie. And so as a result, uh, he had to scrap together the money to make this movie all by himself, uh, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So this, this wasn't necessarily backed by any major studios or major funders or anything like that. It was literally the director and his buddies scrapping money together to make this movie. Yeah. And it, that's really cool to see a movie that's this influential just be kind of made by a dude and his friends. Yeah. You have to really believe in something to to put your own money against it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he, he definitely wanted to tell this story. Yeah. It's estimated this movie probably cost around $133,000 to make. Um, keep in mind that this was in 1948. So a hundred thousand dollars or one hundred thirty-three thousand dollars. I don't know what that equates to via inflation, but I'm sure it was significantly more than one hundred thirty-three thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Um, its opening weekend, it made twenty-five thousand dollars. Um, <laughs> however, it went on to gross worldwide about four hundred thirty thousand dollars. So they did make their money back. Yeah, with gusto. <laughs> Uh, oh yes, uh, um, but even more, they uh, cemented themselves in history yeah. as being an influential work. And for that, they get the honor of two Arkansas men talking <laughs> about their movie in the year 2023 on a podcast <laughs> for our wonderful audience. All right, then.
overall thoughts on Bicycle Thieves and star rating. Would you like me to go first? Yeah, go for it. Okay. Um, I think this is a great movie. Um, again, not if you're looking for to be entertained as uh are you not entertained? Yeah, as uh, is that Gladiator? I think Who's so. That from? Yeah. yeah. Um maybe that's this isn't the movie for that, but um uh, if you're looking for a movie that will make you think and make you empathize with others, I feel like this is a good one. Um, it is always cited as one of among being amongst one of the best movies ever made. Um, it has a interesting uh, approach to filmmaking in that it's all amateur, just people pulled out off the street actors. Um, it Most occurred. of the amateur acting that I've seen in, in films have not been in the uh, art house, shall we say. Right. Genre. Yeah, for sure. Um, this is a movie that was made after the war in Italy, and so it's significant uh, because of that. I think it is shot well. Um the sets, which are actual places, are well done. Um, uh, the score fits for what it's supposed to be doing. Um, so I give it pretty high marks all around. Uh, the only downside or negative I really have are those couple of edits that I talked about earlier. Um, and I guess if I'm being honest, I kind of wanted to see Antonio get his bicycle back kind of a Hollywood ending, but, but the ending that was there was good. Uh, so I ended up giving it a nine out of 10. All right. Well, for me, um, I'm going to take a little bit of a different approach to coming to my star rating. Um, (laughs) I'm going to review it twice and I'm going to average the two reviews. (laughs) The, uh, I just want to have a good time and be excited or happy or filled with drama and then enjoy a happy ending guy. Who's the normal moviegoer. Um, didn't like this movie very much. It was sleepy. It was boring. The plot was simple. And in the end, there was no payoff. Um, so for that guy, I'm going to give this a three out of 10. <laughs> now there's the other guy who is the critic who has a little bit more of an appreciation for art and, um, even more so than the art, the message that it relays through the story, uh, which is another layer on top of the story, which is abstracted and better and more interesting. But it's not for everybody, including the other guy who just reviewed this. Not you, John, but the other me. <laughs> the other Matt. Um, I really liked what it had to say. Uh, I really enjoyed the ending. I thought the ending was incredible. Um, I loved watching the disparity between the classes. I liked seeing this guy struggling and struggling and struggling and never catching a break. And I love that at the end of the movie, he still never caught a break. The only break he got was he got let go when he got caught stealing a bike. Mm-hmm. Um, but that one break is what, you know, gave him that spark of it, 
wow, this is what's going on. Um, as you can see, Meowcat outside my door has her own opinions of this movie, but she's not in this podcast. She doesn't have a desk chair. So, <laughs> um, that guy is probably going to rate this about a nine. So if we take a three and a nine and we count up and down, where do we meet? So we got nine, three, four, three, four, five, six, and a nine, eight, seven, six. That puts me at a six for this movie. And okay. that six is an average of give me a good time and an exciting movie, Matt. And oh, ho, ho, I like fancy artistic movies. And I like <laughs> what this has to say about society, Matt. So we're just going to take those two scores and average them. Okay. Six out of ten, it is. All right. I believe it's time for some Spice Awards. The Spice Awards. All right. Best actor, most underrated cat, I mean performance, favorite scene, favorite character. Somebody and stole her catnip house. <laughs> Salt Lord. Best actor. What do you have for best actor, Matt? Best actor. Easy decision for me. I went with Enzo Staiola hmm. as Bruno. Okay. Um, amazing performance out of a kid, especially a kid that was not a trained actor and was literally just a kid. No prep. Showed up, uh, put on a great performance. He was emotional. Um, the way he was trying his best to be a good son for his dad, but was also envious of the, the well-to-dos, uh, was evident and portrayed extremely well. And I was super impressed by that kid. He did an mm -hmm. amazing job. Yep. He was great. Um, <clears throat> I went with, uh, Lamberto Maggiarani who played our main character, Antonio. Um, Lamberto. Lamberto. Buongiorno, Lamberto. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, same, basically you say the same thing about him as Bruno or Enzo. Um, a factory worker off the street that got noticed by the director and he put him in a movie as the main character. Um, but you wouldn't know it because he does such a great job in that role. Um, and we're not talking like just making it through. Like he shows uh, anger. He shows happiness. He cries at one point, which is some of the most genuine crying I've seen in, in a movie. He um, really goes through the full range. Yeah. So not only was he able to get through the movie, he was able to get through it well and show a whole lot of range, which is not something that you can say about even professional actors. Um, sure. So I really liked his performance and I think he deserves best actor. Um, most underrated performance. Um, for me, I went with Vittorio Antonucci who played the thief. Okay. Um, no real reason other than that he, he stuck out to me. 
Um, the scene where he gets cornered at the ladies' dinner and then is drug outside and gets into the argument <coughs> with uh, Antonio. Um, I thought he did a good job. I didn't really understand the whole he gets conked on the head and goes into a seizure thing. It was never quite made clear if he was actually having a seizure or if he was faking it or what was going on there. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, he was just kind of this sassy kid who, uh, you know, was afraid of Antonio, you could tell, but who was also kind of in that I'm not giving ground to you mode. And I felt like he did a really pretty good job. So I gave it to him. Yeah, I liked his performance, too. Um, And I have to assume he was some random guy, too, that Mm -hmm. they pulled into the movie. Um, So very good. Uh, I went with Enzo Stiola, um, who played Bruno. So your best actor pick. We don't talk about Bruno. (laughs) You just did. But it was my wedding day. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I apologize. Go ahead. Um, Yeah, Bruno was great. Um, He really had a lot more acting chops than you would think from a kid that they pulled up out of a crowd on a street. Um, Just did a great job. Uh, You already said most of it, but... um, Really good performance, and he also had quite a bit of range. So good, good acting job there. I, I loved how he always tried to kind of stay upbeat, to try to cheer his dad up constantly. Like he was such a good little kid, mm-hmm. and even when things were were down, he was still like he was sad, but he was trying his best to make his dad happy and to see the bright side and. It was just kind of heartbreaking. Yeah, definitely. Um, All right, favorite scene. What do you got? This one was easy. Uh, It was the scene kind of towards the end of the film where Bruno and Antonio go into the rich person's restaurant and sit down and have a meal. Um man, that scene was probably the most powerful of the entire movie to me, even given the ending. Um, the the immediate disparity you see between Antonio and Bruno, you know, dejected, living in poverty, walking into this place where there's happy music playing, everybody's laughing and having a good time. Um, and they just sit down and he orders the food. Um which they don't really explain how they pay for it. But then, you know, he talks to him about son. We were so close. Like with this job, I had this money. I had it all planned out. We would have, we, we had it made. And then this bike was gone. And even then the kids like, we can find it. Dad, we'll go down every day and find those guys. And the dad's just like, no, son, it's, it's, we're not going to, we're not going to find the bike. And the dad's defeated and he just wants to give his son something. And so he takes him into this restaurant and he gets him a mozzarella sandwich. And there's a point where Bruno turns around and he looks and he sees this kid sitting in the back just eating like this delicious looking piece of pie. And and just knowing that that's a world that he's not a part of. And he, he 
maybe was this close to getting there. And just because of the way everything sucks, he can't make it now. Mm-hmm. Um, man, what a scene, dude. I, I loved that scene. That may be one of my favorite scenes of all time. Mm. Just a dinner conversation between a dad and his son. It was really good. Yeah, I I liked it. Um, it sucks because, like you said, he was defeated, and so he was using his remaining money to basically go crazy because he bought like uh, a couple of glasses of wine. He bought a whole bottle. Two, he buys an entire bottle of wine, two mozzarella sandwiches, and um, well, he gets some kind of a chicken or steak because he's cutting on something. Oh, I thought they both got sandwiches. But, but the son got a mozzarella sandwich. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I remember thinking, man, that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> it does sound good. And he uh, has a thing where he pulls the cheese out of the, the thing and he's trying to eat it. Uh, he's also eating it with his hands and he looks back and everybody's using knives and forks. That um, scene more than any other scene, man, it made me just want to go through the TV and be like, here, man, let's go buy you a bicycle. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, it was hard to watch. Yeah. And then the reality of knowing that there's people in that situation all over the world. It's just, it's hard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, my scene is also uh, one of those gut-wrenching scenes. Um, it's a near the end when Antonio is trying to decide if he's going to steal a bicycle or not. Because he doesn't just steal a bicycle. He goes on the corner, he sees a bunch of bicycles lining uh, like this, some sort of event going on. Um, and so there's a bunch of bicycles parked near this. Uh, it's like the Coliseum. Coliseum, yeah. Like everybody's in the Coliseum and there's yeah, there's just hundreds and hundreds of bikes everywhere. Yeah. Then he turns around and he sees a lone bike, like a bike uh, propped against a wall, similar to how his bike was when it got stolen. <clears throat> and I don't know. It was probably two minutes of him sweating, gritting his teeth, looking at the row of bikes, turning around, looking at the single bike, looking at his son, just so tension filled because you have no idea if he's actually going to do it or if he's just extremely close to doing it, but he's not really going to steal the bike. Yeah. Um, And that, that scene was very gripping to me and it it was near the end of the movie and it obviously leads up to him actually being a thief and and the ending but uh i liked the way they did that um yeah i agree it on top of that like the whole movie the way it builds to that scene like i don't know if you noticed this but i certainly did like he's going through all these jumping through all these hoops trying to get his bike back like he goes to the cops. He goes and tries to find individual pieces at the markets. He's doing mm-hmm. everything he can, and he's doing it the right way. Mm-hmm. And the whole time he's doing this, there are bikes everywhere, okay. all through the movie. And you can't help but think it would be so easy to just slide off on one. Mm-hmm. And, and your whole family's life could get back on track if you did that one thing. And it mm-hmm. all culminates in that one scene. And yeah, you're you're absolutely right. It's an amazing scene. Yeah, yeah. That's that's kind of what I was saying earlier. Is like they did it on purpose, obviously. But every, almost every scene has a bike in it. 
Mm-hmm. It's like he could just so easily go over and get one um, at any moment. Um, but he's not that kind of person. And it takes it takes the whole movie and it takes extreme situations for him to finally pull the trigger. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> our favorite character. Uh, for me, it's it's Bruno. We don't uh, talk about Bruno. Man, <laughs> I know we're not supposed to talk about him, but <laughs> that little kid, man, he he was just so loyal to his dad, stuck behind him the whole way, did everything he told him to, did his best to help. He tried to be a positive voice for his dad, who was living in a world with just negativity everywhere you know, walking through a tunnel of negativity with hope at the end of it. And, uh, you know, that little kid was just like sparking a lighter that didn't work, trying to light a lantern for his dad, you know, like Mm -hmm. it just, uh, man, I loved that kid. And, uh, you know, his acting was so on par. Like you could tell that kid knew that they were, they were hurting, they were poor, like in that diner scene again, like the way he looks at the kids that have everything, knowing that he'll never be a part of that and wanting it, but not complaining about it. He just sucks it up and looks at his dad and he's like, we'll just, we'll go every day and we'll find that bike. Mm-hmm. He was, uh, he was Antonio Samwise Gamgee. You know what yeah. I mean? He, yeah. He kept him going. And uh, just seeing that little, that little body, following behind his dad in almost every scene, man, I just wanted to hug the kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like when you're in those situations as a child, you grow up a lot quicker and faster. For sure. Um, and that was accurate in this movie. Like he was doing stuff that I feel like kids that were more pampered would not be doing for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, um, anyway, I went with uh, the beggar played by Giulio. Uh, Giulio? Did you just have a stroke? Giulio? <laughs> G- G- that's probably Giulio. Giulio? Yeah. Giulio <laughs> Chiari? That's, that's what I would say. Let me try a different way. There we go. (laughs) Apologies, anyone in Italy listening to this. We do not speak Italian, and I'm sure we're butchering these names. Yeah. Um, But he was the guy, he was the old man that uh, apparently has some relationship with the original Bicycle Thief. And he was a little uh, overacted, maybe, but he was funny. Um, and I love that, I guess he's sort of like, he's a homeless man, maybe. Um, and he's going to this, uh, church to get a haircut and some food and to attend mass. And you've got Antonio walking after him all the way, uh, just browbeating him. Like, where's this man? Mm -hmm. How do you know him? Where's he at? Like (laughs) the whole time, the old man's like, I don't know. Leave me alone. Get away from me. <laughs> you know, you always have a soft spot for those offbeat characters in a movie. I've noticed oh, yeah. that. I do like it's they stand out, I guess, because they're not like he wasn't the normal 
there's no other character in the movie that's like him. Um, and he definitely stood out. But I liked him a lot. So I gave him the favorite character spice award. <laughs> okay, final award, the salt award. Oh, I, you, was there not another award? I didn't have one. Oh, I thought we had favorite quote in there. Oh, I don't even know what that. Uh, <laughs> if you have one, you can give it, but I don't know that I. Okay, well, I'll I'll pass on the favorite quote then. But I did prepare one because it was in our notes. So John had it, got one back on me on the notes. <laughs> um, oh, I did miss it. Look at that. The one that I did was, uh, no surprise, the diner scene. It's the quote where the dad and the son are talking. And um, I'll just, I'll go ahead and read it since I've got it here. But we don't have to do this. Um. Antonio, he's sitting there with his son and they're eating the meal that they had just ordered in the rich restaurant. It's probably just a normal restaurant, but you know what I mean? Rich for them. Uh And he goes, uh, things were going great. With overtime, I figured, I'll show you. $12,000 a month salary. Here, you write this down. $12,000 salary plus $2,000 overtime plus the family allowance. Altogether, that's $800 a day. 30 times 800. Just imagine. What more could you ask for? And should I just kiss it goodbye? Well, I won't. Now, see why we have to find it? Otherwise, we don't eat. What can we do? And at this point, Bruno says, We'll go to the Porta Portis every day. We'll find those guys there. And then Antonio goes, Yeah, sure. Those guys are long gone. We'll never find them with all your mother's candles or all the saints in the world. And when he says that, the happy music fades out into silence. And it's just, man, it's rough. Uh-huh. It's a good one. But it's inconsequential because we don't have a court spice award. So moving on. I can, I can do one. I can do one. Okay. I'll, edit, I'll edit this. Um, okay, so uh, I think this was maybe near the beginning of the movie, um, but it's Antonio, um, and I don't remember who he's talking to, but he says something along the lines of, uh, I've been cursed since the day I was born. Mm-hmm. Um, and they show you that he he does not have great luck. Um, and I thought that was interesting. Uh, just a little bit of foreshadowing in uh, of the movie with that statement uh, that things just don't go his way. But it's it's life. I mean, that's how, how life goes sometimes. Okay, now... The final category, Salt Award. What are you salty okay. about? Um, this movie is just too depressing for me. Uh, I see its artistic merit, and I value the messages that it's putting forth. I don't want that to be understated. This is an important movie, and it says some important things, but it is just too depressing for me. I, me personally, my taste, I... I ugh. Movies that are nothing but depression with no candlelight, no happiness, 
they're they're hard for me. Um, and this movie is one of those. You know, it, it makes some good points, but at the end of the day, it's really just a sad picture of humanity in a really tough time in history. And there's no happy ending. And just like I said, with movies like that, I just I don't gel well with them. There, I I don't. I'm not saying that this is less of a movie for it. Just I personally, I I, I don't really want to watch this one again. Right? It, it's just it's too depressing. Sure. It's a grave of the fireflies. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right. Fair enough. Uh, I already mentioned mine, uh, which was the few weird cuts that they did in the movie. Uh, I could not find out if those were on purpose or if they happened later, or if they happened uh, when during the original uh, edits, but it definitely took me out of the movie. And it for a movie that's considered one of the best movies of all time, having those edits in there seems weird. Um uh, so that's the only thing I could think of that I didn't like or was salty about. Fair enough. I wonder, I didn't notice them, but um, I might not, I might've just not noticed them, but uh, I wonder if maybe it was our cut of the film. Yeah, it could have been the Criterion remaster, I suppose. That's what I was trying to find out, but I couldn't find anything that really specified um, but anyway, that will be it for tonight. Uh, Matt Hurdle, do yes, you have John. your, your next pick? I do. I do, John. You know, some years ago, you and I committed ourselves to a certain road. <laughs> and we've been neglecting this road for quite some time. Mainly because I don't think either one of us is really looking forward to this next movie. But it has to be done, John. We cannot neglect our duty to continue okay. the King's Road. <laughs> and so with that, as you are now well aware, our next film will be 1984's Children of the Corn. Yay. Yeah, I know. <laughs> We've both been putting it off, but it's time to move forward or we'll never move forward. Well, I'm actually happy because, one, we can move on, but also I can watch this movie, hopefully without falling asleep, uh, <laughs> and give it, a, give it a fair shake. Fair enough. <laughs> we'll get through it, and then we'll be, we'll be on the other side of it. So sometimes you've just got to eat a frog. <laughs> All right. Well, as Matt mentioned... 1984's Children of the Corn. That's what we'll be watching in two weeks. Uh, starring Peter Horton and Linda Hamilton. Directed by Fritz Kirsch. Kirsch. Yeah, the one after Children of the Corn will be a lot more fun, I think. What's that one? Silver Bullet. Oh, yeah. I, That's I, not a good one either, but it's probably more fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we would love it if you'd subscribe to the Cinema Men podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. You can head over to cinemamenpodcast.com to check out new and old episodes. We always love to hear from listeners, so if you have a suggestion or want to give us your take on a movie, you can email us at feedback at cinemamenpodcast.com. 
or check us out on Twitter at twitter.com slash cinemamenpod. Thanks for listening. And arrivederci. Anapoli, <laughs>